Hey there, welcome to Cars on Call. Uh, my name is Adams Hudson. I will be pretending to be your host along with Stefan Moran today because in today's episode, Stephen is missing. We got to find out if he's coming back. Also in today's episode, the Polestar 4, the offshoot of Volvo, a really handsome design, a pretty decent EV range, but it has no back window. Also in today, Stefan is going to talk about how design can affect safety and vice versa. And lastly, we will be discussing some wonderful designs throughout the, the years and throughout the decades. Uh, we will include manufacturers such as uh, Ferrari, Lamborghini. Uh, we'll touch on Ford. And we will also cover Range Rover, Jaguar, and other cars prone to spontaneously combust. All of that is in today's episode of Cars on Call. And today, uh, to my co-host, trauma surgeon Stefan Moran, we're carrying the weight of the show here. So where is our missing comrade? Well, Steve-O, after 61 episodes, decided to take a vacation. Like he yeah. earned it? Yeah. He uh, actually is, I, think he's, I can't know if it's a high school or medical school or reunion, but of all the car pictures uh, coming from where he is at, he has gotten to see some amazing vehicles and drive some amazing vehicles and um, I'm sure you're going to have some great stories to tell when he comes back on the podcast about what he got to see and do. You know, he was gone about 30 minutes, and I think me and you both got a photo of the uh, of the uh, the Cadillac Lyric that he saw on yes. the street side. One of four of those probably sold, I think, and uh, of, of the uh, Porsche um, Sport Turismo, a couple of cars we've discussed. You know, it's fun. Every time we travel, we always we're always seeing cars and we always text each other. Hey, look what I saw. And that's why we have the car spotting segment um, about the cool cars that we've seen. I think the cool car that we saw here in the news oh, was wait, the wait, Polestar wait, 4. Wait, what, what did I forget? Wait. I actually have a little intel on what Brother Steve has been up to looking at. I saw a photo and I don't know if you checked it out, but there is a 60s Shelby Mustang, a continuation 427 Cobra, short wheelbase 911, a bunch of 911s, by the way, like a 993 RS, you know, in some crazy, I think it's Riviera or maybe Mexico Blue. Uh, there was a Pontiac Formula 400 sitting in the background. There was some sort of crazy Galaxy Resto Mod thing going on, a Lynx, which you may or may not know. You I don't even know what that is. You know that but like the Mercury links that was oh that's well you are on that is such a trivia pull yes there was a Mercury links and it was sort of the 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 Bobcat links sort of family of a tragic little car destined to fail but the links manufacturer L Y N X not like the modern day uh, computer links but uh, was a recreation of a uh, Jaguar D type and this is no simple copy car this is like faithful down to the nuts and bolts it's a jaguar d-type and it is fantastic looking oh i thought that was a real jaguar in the picture i didn't realize That's it was what you would think yep yes. that was the links that was the links wow. it, yeah it's a very fine piece so if you want to hear about those cars uh we're, we're gonna beg I'm on, we're on bended knee right now that you like, subscribe, follow, and do whatever it is you do on your favorite streaming platform. Uh, we've got to bring Steve back. And the only way we can guarantee it is if you, if you do that, do that, 
Plus, his family would like to see him again. So do your part by like, following, and subscribing. All right. So, Steph, jump on over to that topic you were going to mention about the Polestar. So, uh, in the news came out the new Polestar 4. And, um, you know, Polestar is a kind of a division of Geely and Volvo, a lot of inspiration there and safety. And they had some cool cars. And several episodes back, I drove the Polestar 2 out in California, met a dealer. And this is an interesting, you know, I think we're, I think we need to think, rethink the whole idea of SUV and crossover. It's like, this is considered an SUV, probably to do with size, weight, wheelbase. I don't know, but this is kind of an electric vehicle SUV coupe. And it's their answer to the BMW 5 Series, the Model Y, you know, the Cadillac Lyric. But Maximilian Missoni, who is the head of Polestar Design, he really wants people to call it a reinvention and a new class. And kind of looking at it, you know, it's it's really a just a tall four-door coupe is what it is. It doesn't look giant like an SUV. It's actually five centimeters shorter than a Macan. Interesting. Um, so it really is just kind of what, to me, it's a tall four-door sedan hatchback, you know, or or just a four-door station wagon sheet and brake that's kind of tall. Um, but it's got that coupe sloped backside coming down off the roof and going to have single motor dual motor faster 62 3.8 seconds 60 about 60,000 dollars $60, for the base you get up higher but here's what's cool um that is very oh, unusual what? about this or just weird or just weird it's gonna i mean it's gonna this is gonna be a hot topic of conversation it has no back window Tell us that again. It has no, no back window. Okay. First to market. Um, and we're assuming this is all handled. It also has no rear view mirror. Right. So this no, is kind I of like that. a design leap of faith, man. It, you know, this took more mojo than a Bengal butted BMW. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and for those of you that know what a bangle butt is, just type in B A N G L E butt BMW and you'll see it was a and, and uh, bangle. You have your hand close to, to being able to go over your eyes real quick because you don't want to look at it too long. But um, this is this is interesting to me. And I think this is clearly future oriented as we move towards autonomous driving. And think about, you know, what do you mean a car didn't have a back window? Well, think about all the vehicles that don't have a back window. Like the biggest okay. tour buses on the road. Tour buses, 18-wheelers, um, panel vans, cargo vans, RVs, my F-150 pulling a trailer. I mean, I might as well tear out the rear view mirrors of absolutely zero use. Or, you know... Um, so, yeah, we have rear view mirrors, but it seems to me like more people use them to shave, put their makeup on and check out their kid in the back seat than actually looking who's coming behind them. You know, and that's so, possibly a, a very good safety sort of tie in for that segment. But, you know, I find that there's a, a tiny bit of irony, I guess it would, would, would qualify in that category, that the car has an incredibly expansive panorama roof. So it's got glass all above you. And so you can see the pigeons, you just can't see the pedestrians. You know, it's got, it, it, it depends on high def graphics through a camera uh, to see. And a lot of lower sports cars have them and absolutely need them. 
uh, a lot of normal SUVs have them. You know, when when you're about to back over a tricycle or something that's a little bit lower than than the normal field of view. And I can understand the push, but it just I, I feel like maybe at my advanced age, it would just make me feel claustrophobic, honestly. Yeah, I think it'll be I think it'll take some time to get used to. But let's talk about from a safety aspect, a regular standard rear view mirror versus a digital rear view mirror. And what the the whole concept around the, the mirror is one of visibility. So what you're doing is you are increasing your awareness of those around you sharing the road with you. Now, generally, you want to keep your eyes to the front. But you do also have to consider side visibility, you know, when you're passing or being passed. And also, and rear visibility is most important when backing up and also when considering lane changes mm -hmm. um, or somebody coming up on your rear end, you don't want to hit the brakes. So what we're really talking about is vehicle visibility. Now, you know, some of the, what is it, the Audi e-tron had the side mirrors that were pure digital that was not real has not been very well received i think a rear view mirror is a step in the right direction and i think it actually to me it makes a lot of sense there's a few problems with the traditional mirror that you have you know if the sun is glaring you can't it doesn't work at night you really don't see anything because there's no augmented night vision in a rear view mirror so now you have a yeah. digital rear view mirror that now has night vision augmentation it also has What's most important is it has a wider field of vision. So think about listeners and the, the best way to understand visibility and, and especially if you drive an SUV or a truck is if you see a tunnel and you can see light on the other end of the tunnel, when you enter the tunnel, all you have is the narrow vision at the end of the tunnel. As you get closer to the end of the tunnel, your field of vision increases. Now you can see as you go down, you see more and more. So think about it. If you're sitting in the, if you're sitting driving a, um, let's just say a suburban, full-size suburban. When you look out that front window, you can only see from the straight of your eye to the top of your hood. And for most people, suburban, that's going to be around 12 feet where you can't see anything on the ground within 12 mm -hmm. feet. So a toddler on a tricycle, a kid on a bicycle that's within four feet of them, you're not going to see them. It's, it's physically impossible because they're outside of your scope of vision. Now think about it. You're now looking out the rear view mirror. You're looking at a mirror up that goes straight back out the window and the window is just as high. You also have no rear visibility out of one of those vehicles unless you're in, in reverse and have the camera on. So now think about if you actually had a rear view mirror that had a full-time camera. Mm -hmm. So now you can basically see the road two to three feet behind your vehicle. Now, but Steph, now on those, uh, when you say it does the panorama, of course, that, that, that means that it's sort of bending space as it were, everybody's taking maybe a panorama shot with it, with their iPhone right. and it bends space and it sort of alters the ability to maybe judge some of the distances of things. You don't really get, get the full correct. I'll put quotes on the correct um, field of vision and maybe uh, how far away certain things are. Uh, that's going to take some driver adaptation. Wouldn't you think? I think so. I think it's a great point, Adams. I think um, I'd be I'd be very, you know, the, if I, as soon as I can get to a Polestar dealer, I'm going to go see this for myself. I really want to see this. I imagine they're not doing too wide a panorama, um, but I think the, 
you know, the other thing that's important that make these digital mirrors make sense is think about the Toyota FJ Cruiser. Think about the brand new Defender. You have these large panels at the back of the vehicle, which means yeah. that is the world's biggest blind spot. So if you look out your rearview mirror, you're basically looking out a porthole out the back. Yeah, That's it. Yeah. And even in the big suburban, you know, with ABC pillars and different cars, you look over your shoulder, you, there's there's nothing to see you, and, because of the pillars. And listeners and viewers, when he's referring to ABC, A would be the windshield, B would be between the two doors if there, if there are uh, two side doors, and then the C would be that, that back most area. And man, you picked two perfect examples, uh, yes. the, the, the FJ Cruiser and, and, and the new Land Rover. Uh, is that the Defender? Is that the one that's got the huge um, C pillar? Yes, gigantic yeah. C pillars, like two to three feet long. And you so cannot think- see an approach if you're going to do a lane change and you don't check your your you've got to be looking out your your uh, your your door mirrors or I don't know if they have camera augmentation on on, yeah. on the mirrors on, on the on the new Range Rover but my gosh that you cannot see three quarter to your rear I have no idea how you would ever parallel park one of those exactly so think about it. you're sitting in let's say you're you know you've got your Porsche Cayenne and Ellen's got her Hyundai um, Santa Fe or whatever that thing is she drives. <laughs> And you got adults in the back seat. You can't see anything out. You see three. If you got three adults in the back seat, you're not seeing anything out of your rear mirror other than the people in the back seat. Right. So now think. So, so this is another fantastic feature of the new digital um, mirrors. It's really a screen. But listeners, the, the one feature they all have is you can turn it off and have a actual mirror. So even in this, you can still turn it off and see the people in the back seat with the mirror if you want to, um, which is which is kind of cool. Now, do we um, know, Steph? Does the Polestar Four does it have um, uh, digital screens for its side mirrors? I know it does in the interior of the car. But no, it does not. Okay, it has real live mirrors only for the only for the rear view mirror. Okay, okay. And the only manufacturer that I'm aware of that has now Honda has a little augmented blind spot screen on their mirrors on some of their hondas but the only come the only one i can think of that has completely digital was i think the audi e-tron the big mm-hmm. the big e-tron the big their big suv i can't remember which one that's called you know you one one wonders and one with the slight safety mindset well you have an extreme safety mindset i have a slight not even nearly advanced as your safety mindset one wonders what the heck happens when that when that fails you know if you're driving along in your e-tron and that mirror fails now what there's no different than in your old car when you go to pump on the brakes and the brake pedal hit the floor. I mean, there's always going to be a system that fails in a car yeah. or, you know, it's stuck in. So there's always something that fails. But I think electronics probably have a lower failure rate than most mechanical items. If you think about it, when's the last time you had a major, you know, at least, you know, Lucas and the English aren't making electronics for both these vehicles. So I think we'll be safe. Oh, you know, we will <laughs> now that they're out of it. <laughs> Well, we look forward to yes. seeing the whole star out. Uh, that, that, that was a good explanation of how its design and how modern sort of a, is affected by all this technology once again. Now we, we can't even depend on our eyes looking in a mirror. It's got to be, be, be supplemented by some version of electronics. Yeah, I do want to go back one quick thing, Adam. So for those of you that do have the Palisades and you're carrying kids around, um, most of those do have pedestrian warning, fortunately, for the front to help you with that blind spot. But next time 
and I'll tell Jessica, this nurse practitioner I talked about on my last episode with her um, kids and, and the seat belts and all that and the booster seats. But hey, you let her down. She just bought the car and told her what a, 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 a unsafe vehicle it was and what a sorry mother she must be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unsafe for people, the kids in the far back. But so if you do have one of these big vehicles, Suburban, sit in it and have somebody walk towards you. And then have a short person, a kid, walk towards you and see when they disappear. Or put a box in front of your truck and see when it disappears. And learn, and you'll, you're going to be, and do it from the rear as well. You're going to be kind of frightened to see how much you cannot see in front of you. Because it's just physics, it's an angle. You know, your, your eyes to the top of the hood, that angle, you, that you, you can only see in a straight line. You can't see around corners. That so I, I think this... I think this digital stuff is cool and I can't wait to actually see it. I think it'll be easy to get used to, except for maybe my wife, who still will not use a backup camera. She uses mirrors, but I think, I'm, I'm I think little, most people adapt. Say, I'm a little on her side partly. And I just have to say it like this. I kind of don't always trust it because I bet I'm going to back up my Cayenne. I can I'm, do look down and see am I, you know, am I going to run over anything immediately behind me? Uh, because it's a low mounted camera, but I check my side mirrors and I turn physically around in the seat, partly because I just don't trust it. Plus things can be moving from your periphery into that camera angle that you would never see otherwise. So I'm with Ellen on that. Yeah, all right. All right. Well, well, we, man, that, that was a good wrap up and we're going to transition a little bit over and it's only a, a small step over because you've, we've spent some time talking about design. And about, about how kind of cool that Polestar is. And I can't ever say the name Polestar without having to remind listeners, uh, this has nothing to do with the pole in a gentleman's club. This is not that star. This is about the North Star, the North Pole, the cold climates, and, and maybe a guiding star. So think of it in those terms. Um, uh, they have the limited edition Tiffany coming out, I think, as well. The trim <laughs> package. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's all shag carpet inside, including the roof. Yeah, okay. That's where they put the mirror. Now we... There, yeah, now we yeah, the mirror's <laughs> on the ceiling. Oh, my goodness. Uh, all right, fans only, Polestar edition. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to miss a marketing opportunity if they don't do that. Well, we're talking uh, uh, th this issue, we're going to uh, switch topics here and just talk about how manufacturers nowadays certainly understand the power of a good design. Uh, there had been years that it was a little bit dearth in the design world, but now manufacturers know that, you know, to attract people to the showrooms or to their websites, the car needs to be handsome. It needs to be taken into consideration uh, that you're going to be luring people visually first and foremost. And when you think about it, it, al it almost doesn't make sense because really the automobile is just a useful tool. It's to get from A to B. That's its primary function. But as we covered a couple of episodes back, you know, its functionality is sometimes exceeded by what it says about your lifestyle. You know, you want to have a sort of a lifestyle statement because you drive a certain car that makes you look and or feel a certain way. Not that you're posing, but you just kind of want to feel a certain way. And I do that as well. And though I rarely give credit, like a, a modern example, I don't give credit to this manufacturer very much uh, for a variety of reasons, but let's just look right, you know, not very far in our formerly called a rear view mirror and say that the Tesla uh, made EVs cool. Why did it make EVs cool? 
because it looked fantastic and it looks fantastic. It's a wonderful design. It's very handsome. It's not only capable as a car, but I mean, look at the thing. It's got an incredibly handsome silhouette, the Model S, especially. And prior yeah, I'm with you. I like the Model S. I'm not big on the three, but I do like the S. I think the S has been a wonderful design. It stood the test of time. And agreed and agreed. Yeah, the Model 3 doesn't do it for me. It looks like it has it had its lips sewn shut, and I just can't get past that look. But the uh, the Model S is handsome. And, you know, formerly, like before that, when an EV was an EV, they looked like wingless insects or whatever they were sort of trying to look like, and they were decidedly not cool. And the design of Tesla changed that. Now, uh, we also know that long-term collector value, you know, it would certainly add to the short-term resale value if your car is popular and cool-looking. Uh, but the long-term collector value absolutely harkens to design, even among head-to-head um, -head competitors. A couple of super quick examples, and then we're going to move into mine and Stefan's choices for cars that we think really exemplified great design and have and are going to stand the test of time uh, for the future. So if we look way back over our shoulder, a couple of examples, uh, one that popped into my head before we move into our choices uh, was the... Uh, say the Lamborghini Countach versus the Ferrari, um, what they would have called the Boxer, which is a 365 GTB4 uh, into the 512 BB later. Now, if you look at those cars, and of course I am a Ferrari fan, but this comes with no uh, sort of a home field advantage here, I would say, and I think a lot of Lamborghini experts would agree, the the BB, the 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 Boxer, is a superior vehicle for all the things that cars are measured upon it is a superior vehicle the car to be used uh, for its intended function however the lamborghini will bring three to four times what the contemporary rival ferrari will in the collector world and why is that i think it's because it looks like it came from another planet it is absolutely futuristic in every regard it's in incredible looking design it got a little clunked up toward the end toward the anniversary edition but i'm talking about the pure 70 74-ish to 1980-ish it, it doesn't even matter but that car looks like it came from another solar system if not a planet and that's what collectors pay for now uh, that car would be as functional and revered if you hung it on the wall in a museum and people talked about it in hushed voices. It's just a work of art. The Boxer's not an unhandsome design at all, but compared to the Countach, it just doesn't, doesn't stand out and grab you. Do you a think the, uh, the Testarossa was a follow-up design challenge to respond to the Countach? Well, it was what they attempted to do. The Testarossa was uh, uh, Ferrari's first real attempt following the 308 to design a car from the from the ground up uh, for American tastes. It was considerably wider. It was considerably longer. It had tremendous overhangs. Um, it had a functioning air conditioning and it had a lot of other things that made it a pretty decent car. But they were trying to go full tilt futuristic with that car. And that's a very good point. Um when that car was recently outdated, I mean, like when it when the last Testarossa, which was the 512 TR of 1984, that's when that design would have, would have finally laid down and gone away. It fell into the valley of the shadow in 
collector car values. People thought it, it didn't age well, the cheese crater look, you know, people love to refer to themselves as the greater hater because it had the big slats on the side that were, you know, supposedly mandated by safety uh, over uh, birds flying into your intake or something like that. But yeah, that was sort of a follow-up design, but they almost went too far, Steph. I did. You the test, yeah, I mean, the test race was just, I don't know, it, it, you know, you had the coon talking to me that the test race then came out as follow-up challenge, but there's been nothing. The, the coon talk is just the, one of the coolest, most outrageous sports car designs ever from the company that I think made the most beautiful car ever, the Mira, the Lamborghini Mira, is, is the most beautiful. And that was the, the car that Earl started the whole engine supercar kind of thing as well. Um, yep. It's another iconic design. Now, have you ever owned a, a Mira Kuntak or a Testarossa? Uh, uh, neither of the Lamborghini, but yes, I've I've, I've had I had a, a late five twelve TR, which is really the the, the right. Testarossa sort of modernized, and and that was I'm telling you that was a highly functional car. It did a lot right, and it was considered reliable. It had a what would have been the upgraded uh, Motronic two point seven. Not to get too far in the technical weeds, but it was a it was a grand step up in reliability from the old Testarossa. And that's the one if I remember correctly. You almost passed out when the air conditioning went out because you're afraid what the bill is going to cost. And then you found out very fortunately that the, the compressor um, was it. Yeah. The, <laughs> no, you man, you have a great memory. Go ahead and finish that. The compressor from who from, did the who is the compressor air air conditioning compressor source from? Uh, GM. GM Delco. I mean, yeah, exactly. Hallelujah. I mean, yep. uh, hallelujah. It was it was fifteen hundred dollars in the Ferrari box, and it was about two hundred and fifty dollars in the GM box. <laughs> Guess what? That's shows. <laughs> Just what it didn't have. Luigi stamp gets another. It gets the, the extra money for it. That's hysterical. That's right. Yeah. The Ferrari tax. Um, but you know, it, it, it it's crazy. And and I look I'll, I'll look at one other car example before we jump into our choices that really, I mean, when I was sort of thinking about this, I thought, wait a minute, does design really make that much difference? Am I only going to come up with one or two examples? Honestly, folks, not to, not to make this show two hours long, which we've been <laughs> warned not, not to go too, too long, but there are multiple examples and you can think of some too. And I'll just, I'll, I'll wind up with this one on the Jaguar E-Type. There are not many lists of the most beautiful cars in the world that do not include a Jaguar E-Type. It is just, oh my gosh, you look at, look at the cars, but you, what people are mostly looking at, even though that car was built from a 61 to 74, um, similar guys, but say 61 to 71, almost the same look. And yeah, okay. Well, the power was down and the taillights got a little bit weird in the back. Honestly, it's basically the same body shell. So when people talk about the most beautiful, they are only referring to the series one cars up until 67 and why because they're prettier and those cars are the ones that will bring three to four times what a 68 to 71 will bring and it's strictly because of the beauty and the purity and malcolm sayer god rest his soul the aerodynamicist with uh, the royal air force who designed that car he was really a, a plane designer and you look at that automobile and you look at the crazy toggle switches inside and you can tell that's got some aircraft background, but that is why the car just has this alluring, sexy, wonderful design and the later ones don't. 
So with that, Brother Stefan, we will start off with your list of what we originally, folks, this is funny. Stefan and I were talking about five minutes before we, we aired, and we were supposed to do three cars each. <laughs> yeah, of course. We neither, we neither one could hold it to three, so we both got four. So Steph, pop off with yours. All right. So listeners, Adam's told me we're going to discuss three cars that we think most exemplified design is true to the core mission of its function. So me being a physician scientist, I'm going to find cars that are designed true to the core of its function. So, and, and looking back and thinking about this, even though I absolutely despise this car, it is true to its design and function, the Toyota Prius. Oh, interesting pick. Despising but makes the list. I don't like it, but no, what was it designed for? It's designed to be a fuel-efficient hybrid vehicle, aerodynamic shape with a hybrid drivetrain, high-tech, kind of futuristic at the time. The design's got some weird stuff, but had the best fuel economy ratings. And it was, I think it was an absolute excellent example of design true to its function. Even though I don't, I don't, even though I hate the things, I think they're ugly. What they intended to do with that vehicle, everything about it, they nailed it. And it, that is, that is my, that's really to me, the number one design is true to core mission of its function vehicle. Goodness gracious. That was a pick that I did not see coming. And, you know, I mean, even though I just sort of made fun a little bit of the, the, the EVs prior to, to the, uh, to the Tesla, the Prius paved the way. They, the, the, they introduced the world to a hybrid vehicle that functioned. Yep. And that, that and, car has the drag coefficient of a gnat. Yeah. <laughs> it's unreal. So that was my number one. Okay. Okay. Cool. And then, uh, well, number uh, two, you probably could guess Jeep Wrangler. Well, you want to go, but let's go back and forth. Let's go back. Okay, and let's forth. go back and forth. Yeah, all right. I should, well, of course, you're, I'm, okay. I should let you, Steve was not here to direct me and direct you. So I just start talking. So you're, you're, you are the moderator, Adams. I'm sorry. No, take, no, take, take the mic. No one directs you, Stefan. We know better. And Ellen has written us each numerous <laughs> times saying that you could not be directed. So listeners, forget what he said as his number two and let it be a surprise to you. My number one, and I and I kept sort of going going into this this category of sports vehicles, and and I have changed on the fly from what I had written down here with the tails. Okay. I'd originally written down because I have a nearly duplicative car coming up later. What's written down here is the Ferrari Daytona, but I oh. have changed it oh. midstream to the Ferrari. I'm going to call it a Ferrari, the Dino two hundred six or two forty six basically of the same era. And the reason I changed it was partly because of packaging. I wanted a mid-engine car. And that is, uh, um, uh, back in the day, Ferrari thought, okay, well, a Ferrari is a front-engine V12. Enzo was quoted as saying that, or it's a V12 engine car, maybe not necessarily front. But uh, the, the Dino came out as a V6 in uh, 1969, and it lasted until about 19, uh, exactly 1974. Came out with a two-liter V6, et cetera, et cetera. It's called a Dino uh, romantically because of his son, Alfredino uh, Ferrari, um, who sadly died way prematurely. Heck of a motor designer, he in, in his own right. But so the Dino was sort of a little bit of a budget Ferrari when it came out. And so I'm picking it partly for for, for that, that side, just almost as like a sentimental example. And I have owned one of those, but it's an incredibly packaged car. 
It is super tight. It looks like a sport racer uh, of the era. It's got the huge, what they call sugar scoop headlights, similar to the E-Type, but even more exaggerated, a little slim, delicate mouth up front for the air intake. Um, it's got a usable trunk in the rear. It's got a V6 turned sideways in the middle, so it's decently efficient. Not that you'd mind for gas mileage, but it, it you know it basically sips fuel about 190 horse in the later guys. And forgive me, I'm just I didn't even make a note on this thing, but it was also designed uh, by Leonardo Fioravanti um, uh, with Pininfarina at the time. Say that again. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I can't. I can do. I can say that one time per week. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh i believe it's fioravanti and it is uh you know just the name alone he sounds like an artist but that car folks you pull it up and it has got every line exactly where it needs to be in my book you see you kind of think about the mura came out you know it's the mid-engine first car and then the the dino is kind of like a is like uh, the refined, lighter, less is more version of that. Nice call. Yeah. I agree, man. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Very trim. It's nope. like a session IPA, you know, it's yeah. instead of a double. You know, you know. <laughs> that's a, this is the all day IPA version. That's yeah, right. you drive it all day long. It's comfortable. It's good gas mileage. You know, it's got the power you need. It's not overpowered. It's not temperamental. And but it's got all those design features that go with it, and it, it, drivable, more livable version. Uh, indeed, indeed. I drove one from a LaGuardia airport where the car landed. I bought it in Florence, Italy, back in 1980. When was that? Two, three, three. Is that right? Yeah, 83. And I drove it from LaGuardia airport in New York all the way to Montgomery, Alabama. It never hiccuped. I was perfectly comfortable. Wow. Yeah, fabulous, fabulous car. Unlike my drive in the Cobra from Washington, D.C., all the way to Knob Nostra, Missouri, I arrived deaf in one ear, blind in the left eye, and a burnt foot. <laughs> but you still loved every mile, didn't you? Oh, I did. I did. Yep. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, hit us with your number two as, as nice design that he evokes its core mission. So, you know, starting with Billy's Jeep World War II design, very specific task and then the jeep wrangler came out you know rugged off-road capable design for adventure exploration solid axles front and rear high ground clearance sturdy construction four-wheel drive and it has continued to evolve and it's perfectly suited to its function now most of the people are driving them are just posers but the just the, label them if you will why not why don't you <laughs> yeah i mean you know who you are out there you know if i looked under if i look under the undercarriage of your wrangler and it is cleaner than the miata in my in my garage it hasn't been driven in a year then we got a problem houston okay I mean, <laughs> the yeah. only off-roading they do is when they back over the flower bed yes yeah. exactly <laughs> but hey it's a lifestyle vehicle but they have remained true to the core of the design of that vehicle and for what it does and what it is highly capable. It is an incredible off-road vehicle. So yes. that's my number two. What's that's yours, Adams? I'm not, I'm not going to skip to my three. You go ahead and tell me what's your number two. You probably got something. You've got more interesting stuff. Mine is I, I stayed, I stayed truer to the, to the task you get given to me. How do you know this? I've chosen one and I'm already being critiqued. 
Yes. <laughs> One third of the way through. I was about to give you props for actually following uh, what we had formerly set up is not jumping out there and giving us <laughs> all three. Uh, I, I, I was going to give you credit, but no, I've just snatched okay. it. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. My number two is the BMW Z8. Oh, interesting. Well, I feel like that car of all the times that people love to drop the word retro out there and say, oh, it's a retro design or it's inspired by the history, et cetera, et cetera. To me, without question, the best version of the retro themed inspiration is the BMW Z8. That car was built from uh, 1999 to, I believe, 2003, 2004. It is just a fabulous car. It is intended to be evocative of the BMW 507, which was a car that was so complicated and so just, I don't know, over the top in its design. I mean, BMW really set some high uh, design, design and engineering standards for that car. It about bankrupt the company. So the 507 is not like a car a lot of Americans even remember ever having seen. It's a multi-million dollar car now, probably in the five, seven, eight million dollar range. But uh, Heinrich Fisker uh, designed the BMW Z8, and man, oh man, he killed it. It looks both backwards and forwards at the same time, and it just is a wonderful design. Everything about it looks right. It's in, tucked in its right little place. Very minimal overhang, sort of like the E46 BMW uh, M3, or just the whole E46 uh, uh, design language. Just minimal overhangs, not a lot of decoration. And true to the retro theme, you look inside the car and it's got a banjo steering wheel, which is meaning sort of, you know, the, the strings of a banjo uh, look like the, the, the rims on the steering wheel. The, the, the center uh, is of the interior is filled with gauges. They're not like driver focused, they're center focused. It's just, I don't know, it's a very tasteful look. And I would, I'd sell about everything I own to have one in my garage. I think they're fantastic. I thought you were going to say the 2002 Ford Thunderbird release. I mean, I was... That might be a retro. That's I mean, of... it and the Z8 are retro, you know, retro two-door convertibles. I mean, you don't think the Ford Thunderbird in 2002 hit the mark? Um, I'm thinking it missed the entire target. It went over the backstop. It hit somebody in the stands. And Steph, I'm telling you, man, you were on my friend because that is a terrific example of a retro attempt that failed. Failed. What, what, what do you think? Is, is, is the Z8 to you? Is that a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Oh, Z8's a thumbs I liked it when it came out and I still like it. Yeah. Yep. Good one. And actually one of my partners was going to buy one. And he decided not to. And they, they didn't sell very well at all when they came out. You could you could get one. You're correct. They were pricey as all heck and being very expensive. A crazy thing, not crazy. I mean, it was like crazy, like a box crazy, but they guaranteed 50 years of parts availability for that car. So as rare as it is, people who might have been a little bit skittish, like, oh, man, they're going to quit making this car and I'm never going to get parts for it. BMW guaranteed 50 years. Now, that's bold as heck. Well, that's easier than finding parts from my bullet Mustang. We're still waiting on rims. Oh, on wheels. yes. Oh, we're going to need we may need a bullet update. I don't know if we got time in this. Yeah, episode, no, but I'm yeah. curious about it. But I don't know if Ford has 50 years worth of parts for the bullet, but uh, <laughs> I'm still waiting on wheel. the wheels to come in. Would a wheel be that difficult, Ford? Come on. Well, I guess, I guess they're going to make 
They're going to make the wheels right after they finish the hard tops for the Bronco. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the, uh, you want me to go to my number three vehicle? Yes, sir. Go for it. Number one selling vehicle in the world ever. For the, okay. Well, I should say in America, in America, the last 25, the Ford F-150. F-150 truck. Absolutely. I mean, it just, you know, full-size pickup truck designed for work utility they got smart they do the king's ranch version the platinum version now the electric version but they have continued to refine the f-150 and it's the number one most registered vehicle in the united states of all time it continues to be they sell more they I mean and the f-150 just you know i have one um but for what it's designed for it's it's the pinnacle of the pickup truck man oh man i tell you your design i there's no way I could have guessed at what any of us would be picking. I mean, you know, if Steve was on this call, he would he would be chomping at the bit, bit to to have his choices. And and Steve, we look forward to having you back on the call. Maybe you'll get to weigh in a little bit. We'll throw you a consolation bone. But I would not have picked for you, Stefan, the ones that you've chosen. But man, oh man, are they dead on the money of form and function, just perfectly intertwined. No, I do listen to some podcasts where, you know, people, they, they come up with this task and then they're so far deviated from it. Cause you know what? I hear the tasks like, I'm going to think about it. And um, so I, I want to stick true to it. And, um, but um, Hey, that those, those are the top three I came out. So what's your, what's your number three, Adam? I, I, I feel honored. You're, 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 you're following this. I, I think with Steve, Steve out of the room, we were, Stefan and I were so nervous about going off script. <laughs> the, the teacher's away. Oh my Lord. How are we going to pay yeah, the principals, the teacher and principals away. You're exactly right. I mean, I, I read, you know, I've read your question word for word. Cause normally with Steve, he sends me, he sends me a, um, you know, what, what we're going to talk about. And I look up some of it, you know, well, let's he, say it's he also just in leaves. doctor handwriting. It's in doctor handwriting. I can yeah. scarcely make it out. And I, you know, and he leaves the discussion, but I didn't want to let you down as a moderator today, Adams. I didn't want you to be disappointed with my performance. So I, I actually worked at it today. <laughs> I'm touched, Steph. All right. Well, for number three here, um, I'm going to pick another one that, you, you know, I'm now looking, looking at my, my choices and they seem to be following a slight trend here. Uh, Porsche 993 coupe. Oh yeah, that that's the epitome of of the yeah the, the 993 because they, they've got a little bit big and bloaty since then. But the 993 yeah. was the end of the we did the whole de, perf, perfecting the design, getting it better, 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 better. Boom! The 993 was like they had it. Then up oh, now we're going to you know water cool. But it was I do like yeah the 993. I agree. Can you imagine how difficult it was for Tony Hatter, who's a Britishman, by the way, uh, Englishman, who who uh, did is credited with the redesign? But of course, he was picking up on the uh, the 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 very Porsche design and uh, the 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 PH look of the teardrop uh, silhouetted 911 uh, that was actually harking back to the 356. I mean, Porsche is no stranger to uh, looking barely over their shoulder to get inspiration on uh, the next iteration of vehicles, especially when it comes to the 911 design language. And so Tony Hatter is sitting there having to like pay homage to basically 40 plus years of, uh, of, of this uh, design language and just blooming kills it. 
And the 993 is nipped and tucked to, to me in my eye. Of course, this is an, this is an opinion podcast today because it's all about design. But it's nipped and tucked in the exact right ways. It is muscular in the rear. It has one of the best three-quarter rear views you will ever see in automobiledom. I mean, it's got actual hips, and it's exaggerated in that way. Uh, the front end is perfectly tastefully aerodynamic uh, versus the uh, just previous generation uh, 911, what they call the G-Series that ended in uh, 89 with the 3.2 cars, that car looked a little bug-eyed. I mean, people would look at that and go, oh, look at that sort of frog-eyed, sort of mildly amphibious looking front end. The 993 has none of that. And forgive all the 964 devotees out there, which would have been the series just before the 993. I personally thought the 964 looked like it had a major overbite and needed an appointment with the orthodontist like tomorrow. <laughs> but, well, and you know, the, you picked a great one, Abs. The prices right now, for, I know you, I don't follow 993's pricing, but I know the prices are out of the roof on the 993's. Yep. I mean, what, what, would, what would it cost you to get into, say, a 75,000 mile, nice condition 993? What's, what's that? You could, uh, it's funny, you're picking one that's kind of been on my radar of late, but you know, now I'm just chasing prices that have left me a little bit in the weeds of what I'd be comfortable on, but just a normal 993 C2, what they would call a base car, not the S. Now the S is the one everybody really hits hard. Uh, the base car probably be um, um, mid $70,000 to maybe mid 80,000. And then if you go to a C2S or a C4S, you are well into the one and a quarter to 150, 160 range. And if you put some funky options on it in a crazy color and lower that mile, you are really sniffing up in the stratosphere. Wow. Yeah, they're out there for sure. All right. So that was your third car. Right. Yep, and here we have the bonus round. The ding, bonus ding, ding, round. Ding. Yeah, the Jeopardy bonus round. All right. So, you know, so I was scientific on my first three, but the, the last one is an emotional car. Of course, you listeners, you Finally. probably, you, well, you know, you know what it's going to be. It's going to be the AC Cobra. Um, there you go. Yep. Very importantly, listeners, it is not a Shelby. It is correctly called an AC Cobra. A lot of people like to call them a Shelby Cobra. It is properly called an AC Cobra. Um, you have to give up. You, you are like steeped in all things Cobra and Shelby and AC. Tell us a little wh why that AC is in there. Like, Because most people do say Shelby Cobra when they see it. Tell us about the AC lineage a little bit. Yeah, so in 1962, uh, Shelby was big time. Carol Shelby. First of all, let's back. Carol Shelby won Le Mans in 1959 with Aston Martin. He had a heart condition to a lot of SCCA racing, so he wanted to move over to team manager, bring some cars over to America that could race, and he wanted to win the um, European Championships. So he needed a car, and Ford had come out with the big engine. He initially went to Chrysler, didn't really work out. He went to Ford, Leia Coca, they got some engines. He found this AC car um, um, made in Britain, uh, Brian Inglis, if I'm correct. No, not Brian Inglis. Um, Brian, no, I'm having a metal... Yeah, no, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. And later on, and um, he said, "I'm going to put a drop a Ford engine in one of these," and because the car was doing well in the races, it had a six-cylinder straight six. It wasn't that powerful, but this new Ford T60 was powerful. 
So this quickly be turned out and become that's, AC that, Cobra. That straight, that straight six, uh, they, they had two versions. They had a Bristol engine six and a BMW engine six. And uh, but it was still that incredibly good looking body design that we're we're talking about. Your basic, your the ultimate expression of the English two door two door convertible. Yeah. And um, so Carroll Shelby dropped one in. And there's all kind of lore. He had one that in American. He actually repainted it for multiple times given to different drivers there's all kind of stories it's it's, it's, it's a fun history to read about um carol shelby but he was an incredible snake oil salesman and a fantastic driver but so he developed the AC that cobra. A, a snake oil salesman would have a cobra yes exactly <laughs> it's funny the stories he tells about how we came up with that name as well it kind of changed but it's one of those designs that's remained iconic over the years and is probably the most replicated car made they didn't make a whole lot of them so they're very a lot of people you know when they first came out with cobra they the the, the ac cobra they sold pretty well not as well a lot of hollywood stars had them and rock and roll stars had them and then just a little bit they were fabulous race cars and they went down in value kind of like the muscle cars nobody wanted the big engine small cars Plus, they were but almost the all beat up. They were used as weapons. They were like they were the weapons, and they were all a lot of them are just crashed because they're you know you think about it, you've got ninety inch wheelbase car with this monster V eight in it, uh, conservatively and, rated at a zillion horsepower. Exactly. So for me, this is just the ultimate expression. If you take you you allow the English to perfect the two door convertible that is a sports car that can take the track. And then you bring in American Ingenuity with the small block V8. And a guy named Carroll Shelby drops that engine. You know, the Allards had been doing it the years before, but that wasn't a great design. It was a good race car in Allard was, but it just didn't look nice. The Fassel Vegas and all these others. This is probably the most, what is the most iconic marriage of two, a body manufacturer and an engine manufacturer. It's what we and, used to call hybrids before they were dual fuel. <laughs> you know, we really did. It was like, okay, well, here's a manufacturer in Italy yep. or in England, and let's let's stuff a, a reliable and plentiful American motor, usually a V8, into it. And they call that a hybrid. It's like a, right. a Pantera, an, an Italia, an Intermechanica, et cetera. So, yeah, so um, just for the segments of time, there's really there's three Cobras that people talk about. There's the 289 Cobra or the slab side. There's then the big 427 Cobra, which is uh, what most people know. And then there's this un unknown European AC, um, the AC Sports, AC Cobra Sports, which is the European version, the, the Cobb chassis Cobras, which looked a little bit different than the ones that came to America, um, the 427. So that is, and it's the most replicated car. And yep, I'm getting whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it, a replica car, kit car, I don't care. But ERA is hand making my car. And the engine is being currently restarted on the engine. And um, it's, it's, I can't wait to get it. I can't wait for you to get it either because I've been hearing about it. And I know that that's been a bucket list item for you. And I think it's super exciting. And before I get into my fourth one, and then we're going to wrap this episode up. Uh, it's, it's, it's funny. As soon as you said Cobra, I thought, man, oh man, those cars, if you just took a silhouette shot, it actually looks like a BMW Z8. Oh, Agreed or not? I mean, well, I, I'm glad you like that because it might be maybe the silhouette of cars on call logo looks a little bit like, hey, a Cobra or a BMW Z8. You're right. 
There you go. Well, anyway, and you know, it's, 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 it's obvious what a fantastic design was that they would bring it back that many years later with the, 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 the long hood and the short deck. And mine, we, we do not have to dwell on very long, partly because of time and partly because Stefan really covered this genre very, very well. This is a purely durable, do what it's supposed to do kind of vehicle, the Toyota Land Cruiser. And I'm yes. talking the 1991 to uh, 97, what they call the Series 80. It's just a handsome design. It's got an inline six. It's a no frills kind of car. They were getting a little bit uh, more driver aids, but it still has a solid uh, front and rear axle, capable off-roader, stuff it full of gear. It's just as happy going uh, on the interstate as it is in two feet of mud and going to a campsite. And I just think it just really hits on every point of its design dictum. Well, you know, it's like the Mazda Miata was the answer to the British sports car, two-door sports car. They got it right. Land Cruiser was the answer to the Land Rover, which had a lot of liability issues, body issues. And once again, they perfected it. I'm sure Gary would have to agree, or our former guest. Yeah, that That's what they're great at, perfecting the design and engineering and reliability. And not always first to market but they see what the market will bear want and then they perfect it because they are smart they understand what reverse engineering is about and part of the reverse engineering is does it have market viability and if so let's do it better and that's exactly right and with that brother steph this is a fun episode i had a good time i hope the listeners did as well um we look forward to having Stephen back remember you know you got to to, to to get him back, you're gonna to have to like, follow, and subscribe. You know. <laughs> hey, but you're gonna be gone for a couple of weeks. I, I know you're going to Italy. You do anything cool, car related over there? Maybe. No. No. <laughs> no. You're right. Yeah. So we're gonna fly over Italy, and I'm gonna wave at it and come home. No, actually, and I wore my handy dandy little little logo wear here. Oh, uh, look at you. That's Where's the gold chain to go with your Ferrari shirt and your Gucci? Get out of here with the gold chain talk. That's the Lamborghini Club. You got the wrong people, you pole star fan. <laughs> uh, I actually am going. Uh, we, we're, we're going to Italy. I should be packing right now. We're leaving tomorrow, and I will be at the Ferrari factory on about our third or fourth day of the trip. And I'm looking very forward to that. And it's actually also our 38th wedding anniversary. So you oh, know congratulations. Your, wife, your wife will go to the Ferrari factory with you. Well, I want to be in Ireland in uh in 10 days, but I, I don't know if there's a DeLorean museum or not over there, <laughs> but I may, I may have to look for it. <laughs> the bombed out northern factory, uh Northern Ireland factory. Well, you know, they probably do have some homage to the DeLorean over there. You need to look that up. I have to look that up. So all right, listeners, like, listen, subscribe. Adam is a wonderful time and um have a safe trip in Italy. And I can't wait to hear all about it. Thank you.